Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Brian O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and today I am especially happy because I got not one, but two fellow Tennesseans, and these are East Tennesseans, even better. (laughs) So Ryan Haddock and Nick Weich have a new, did I get that right, Nick? Yes, you got it. Awesome. Have a new Young Readers graphic novel coming out from Vault Comics' Wonderbound imprint called The Brothers Flick in the Impossible Doors, which is a fun, clever series of shorts about four brothers unearthing supernatural secrets in their Edwardian-era house. Thanks for joining me today, gents. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, I've laid out kind of the big picture there. Can you fill us in a little bit more about what the story is about? <laughs> um, yeah, so the so the Brothers Flick, uh, as you stated you know they are they're four brothers they solve kind of supernatural mysteries um around this uh this orphanage that they live in um with this book in particular it's it's not just like supernatural mysteries this kind of branches out into um the possibility of other worlds um so you know one of the things that they do in this book um they yeah they either you know they they go into other worlds or other worlds come into theirs you know, just uh, it's it's all about um, just kind of different possibilities, different realities that are out there. Yeah, the story centers around those four brothers in this hugely massive house. Um, I know this is a, a deeply personal uh, story to you, Ryan. As as the boys the boys are, it's pretty safe to say, at least loosely based on your own kids, right? Uh, not even loosely. Um, they oh, are yeah. very they're very much based on on uh, on my kids, um, and uh, so much, much so that I've. Keep calling the boys the characters' names. I must up so often; yeah, much, it's not even funny. Yeah, much hilarious. to Nick's, much to Nick's chagrin. Yeah, um, we when I'll I'll be talking about one of my kids with him, and he'll you know he'll nice he'll say you know oh well, you mean Remy I'm like no Rory my, my the son, real Rory, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the made not, not, yeah not not the cartoon that the real kid yeah um yeah so um yeah so all yeah all the 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 brothers flick are all based on they're based on my children um and I really like. What you see in the book is it is it is who they are. Um, Leo is based on my son Liam, who was just this. Uh, I mean, he, he he's exactly the way he's portrayed in the book. He um, yeah, he was he was caring, but also he's very. Uh, I think focused is probably the best way I can put it. Um, yeah, in in the book, you know, when Leo is presented with a mystery to solve, that is the most important thing. Nothing else exists aside from the case. That that's that's the most important thing. Um, Desmond, who's based on my son Dexter, is almost the exact opposite. He's the one who remembers that oh, there are people involved in this too, and they need just as much care and concern as the mystery does. Um, and Remy is based on my son Rory, who. Um, so my son Rory is um, uh, most of the chair. Uh, most of the time, he's in a wheelchair. Um, he has um, he has uh, cerebral palsy and uh, is on the autism spectrum. So he just just like Remy, he he doesn't uh, he doesn't communicate with words, um, and you know he just he just interacts with the world a little bit differently than than most other people do. And then uh, Cub is based on my youngest Salem, who. Of course, Salem is four now. Uh, when we first started writing this book, he was much, much younger. He was uh, around nine months, months old. Oh, was he nine months? Oh, he was around nine months, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
<clears throat> so and that's and that's about roughly kind of what the age the age that he is in the book. Um, and at the time, he was very uh, very mischievous, and he still is. So <laughs> that uh, that that carried on. So he's a little hellion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Though he definitely uh, he's his personality has expanded a bit, uh, going from nine months old to four years old. So, um, I'm, uh, I'm very, uh, I'm hoping I get to explore kind of, uh, where cub goes from this point too. So had this idea been like kicking around in your, your head for some time, obviously it's your kids. So in, in a sense, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I've, I've wanted to be a writer forever. I mean, since I was like six years old, um, but uh, recently, over the last uh, last few years, I had um, I just I'd really wanted to come up with a project that basically just put everything, all the things that I love, into one bucket. So, you know, I so I had my kids, I had science fiction, I had fantasy, I had the detective stories, I even had you know that little bit of a steampunk aesthetic. Like that's I just wanted to take everything that I loved, both fictionally and non-fictionally and put them in one idea um and you know, i uh i kind of i came up with that concept i kind of fleshed out the characters a little bit um i met nick for coffee one day and kind of presented this idea to him and he was pretty enthusiastic about it so i think if i remember right he like sketched all four of the boys like that evening <laughs> it was he was like um he was sending me sketches uh He's like texting me sketches and I was like, yes, that's awesome. That's perfect. So, um, yeah, so just that, that, that was, yeah, it, it was just me just trying to combine literally all of my interests into one thing. I mean, if I, if I only get one shot at this writing gig, then I'm just going to get everything I like into one, one book. And I want to, I'm going to add a couple of cents to his two cents. Um, we met up and we had known each other kind of loosely through a local, um, comics co-op in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we both live or live near and um ryan had reached out and was, was interested in collaborating and i was like hey cool this a writer wants to collaborate with me it's awesome so as he said we met at a starbucks and we talked about a bunch of different things and when he started talking about the brothers flick literally his eyes lit up and the energy level changed and i could i could read the passion and the excitement and how he was describing it and the way he described it literally put the reason i was able to turn around and do the sketches of the brothers was because he put the pictures in my head. He, he, the way he told it, the, the investment he had in it, it was cast in my head immediately. So I just went online and did a little Facebook stalking, looked at pictures of the boys on his and his wife's Facebook and based it off of the kids and not just their pictures, but the way he described the brothers. And from that moment on, I was hooked with them. So I just want to say, I mean, it was obvious his passion for it was amazing his investment in it, he didn't, I don't even think he realized how real it was to him until he started saying it out loud and it just really keyed for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to be enthusiastic <laughs> about, about a story about your family and, you yeah. know, and, and being able to expand upon that. So there are all these beats. So, so how did you want to go about structuring it? So you had fantasy, science fiction, all this stuff. And after reading it, you know, the construction is, it's not, issues like somebody would think of a, a traditional comic book it feels much more like a chapter book in a sense so exactly um yeah when we were when we were um kind of, we were setting it up and kind of laying out how we wanted it to go um 
So uh, the the editor at Wonderbound, uh, Rebecca Taylor, she was also very involved in that aspect of it. Um, one of the things that she said had really kind of drawn them to the idea was the idea that you know each case was a chapter, like each each chapter itself was maybe not necessarily a standalone story, but that like it was something that um, like for from my experience, like this would be you know you can read one of these every night before bed, and then read the next chapter to the next night before bed, and just there's there's enough connective tissue between each store between each chapter that you know they they all go you know they all go from one to the next but also like there's still some kind of resolution at the end of each one like okay now we can go to bed and I actually and I, I tested that when we when we got the first uh, the advanced reader copy I uh, I sat down with uh, with my nine year old and we we read through one a night he wanted to keep going so I took that as a good sign um, yep. but. Uh, yeah, we read through one a night, and uh, it, I think it worked out. I think it worked really well. Yeah, well, I got to say, I'm I'm in love with the the visual style of this this book in particular. It it feels like something that I could have pulled off the shelves as a kid myself. It's got a timeless quality. You know, like Curious George, uh, Madeline. <laughs> you know, uh, even straight down to what these like textural overlays. I don't know if you did it that way, but it adds these little white dots that are reminiscent even of an older printing technology. So how'd you go about, you know, crafting that particular visual aesthetic? Well, I want to give props real quick on the one thing you mentioned about the the textures. Whitney Coker, who um, is our colorist, she actually picked up on my inspirations, which my one of my biggest passions is European cartooning, particularly um, like European... Um, Franco-Belgian cartoons like um, comics like Spirou or Asterix or Tintin. Yeah. Um, and so um, fell in love with that style of cartooning back in the 90s. And inevitably, that's where I started drawing more and more from. So as the pages were getting finished, Whitney saw that that inspiration and literally went out and bought stacks of old Tintin magazines. And the I mean, went on eBay and bought the original French editions um, of all of these things where Tintin and Asterix and Spiru were in and studied those. And we went through, she went through a couple of different passes to get where um, Rebecca, our editor, was like, okay, yeah, that's it. And that was one of the things that she did was she created that texture um, piece for it. And yeah. um, didn't, uh, didn't she build the color palette off of, uh, off of those also? She built, yeah, she built them yeah. off of old Spiru magazines yeah. and Tintin magazines. Um, um, scanned a lot of those in to create a palette and then created her palette out of it. But I think also sc- scanned in some of the um, paper to create that textural feeling. Um, and it was the first time they came back, I literally just, I, I, I literally wept <laughs> because I was, when she was sending me all the, when she, in our, we have a Slack for the book. Um, and so when she was putting all the stuff in the slack, I was, my wife was like, well, you calm down. You don't even know this person. <laughs> and I, cause I was like sitting in bed looking at it on my iPad going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, um, when she sent the first pages, I just literally cried cause I'm, I started this book when I was 50 years old. I've never drawn a, I've only comics ever drawn were a few short stories for local anthologies. And, um, I never imagined I'd get a chance to do this. I w- I thought they'd hire him and hire a real artist. Um, but people seem to like how I draw. So <laughs> little did he know he was the main reason that it got picked up. <laughs> so go from, you know, the longest story I'd ever drawn at that point, I think was the four page um, story that we did for the anthology to draw on a 190 page, odd page graphic novel. <laughs> it's like biting off the elephant in one bite. 
So, so what is your background then? I mean, uh, so I am a, I'm a I, long, short story, uh, very, very long story short. Uh, done a lot of different stuff in my life for the last um, 17 years. I've worked for a wireless company that I won't promote on your podcast. Um, okay. Starting, starting as a trainer, and then I became an instructional designer. So I literally write curriculum and content all day long. Okay. Uh, but started drawing at age like three, and started reading comics at age three. Um, and so ran comic shops, uh, wrote for Overstreet magazine back in the nineties, um, the monthly and then Overstreet fan, um, had a short story I wrote published in negative burn, which was a caliber anthology back in the nineties. Um, and then had some personal stuff that kind of pushed me out of the industry for a number of years. And I've always drawn, but when I bought an iPad and an Apple pencil and discovered the joys of drawing digitally, my learning curve kind of just skyrocketed. Okay. And 40 years of practice turned into very quickly getting work. So, um, but you know, you say it's like, oh, oh wow, you did your, your first shot out of the box. You got a graphic novel. Yeah. But there was literally 40 some odd years of practicing before I got there. So, so the, the, the timeless aesthetic, um, was built over time. Well, yeah, yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> the cartoonist Seth um, was a big uh, inspiration for me back in the nineties and, and a lot of drawn and quarterly and um, books and then drawn and quarterly started produ- uh, reprinting and, and translating a strip called Monsieur Jean by two French cartoonists Dupuis and Barbarian. And that's what got me into that Franco Belgian school of cartooning. And I'm just obsessive when I get something that interests me, I study it deeply. And so followed that route back to stuff that I never knew about when I was a kid growing up and fell in love with. Well, I mean, the, the pocket is easily recognized. I mean, like it was like that for me. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the house a little bit. I think every Southern kid of a certain age is familiar with one of those old, big Southern mansions that, you know, hold within them that certain amount of mystery. You know, for me, that was an abandoned house next door to my grandparents. My bedroom at their place was next to the orchard. And right beyond that cool. sat that rather imposing, dilapidated, scary house. You know, I never had the courage to explore it. But what was the the house inspired by? Anything in particular or just? Um, I mean, I think kind of like you said, like I think every every kid had that house. Um, and I mean, for me, in, I mean, growing up um, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was, uh, there was actually a house that... Um, I get the best way I can put it. It was perpetually um, burning down. Um, it probably I, in the you laugh, but it's true. Um, <laughs> so in the I say the in the eighteen years that I lived at at home with my parents, I think there there was a house kind of like in the corner of the neighborhood that burned down. I want to say like four different times, and it just it just stayed like for several years. It just stayed like this charred skeleton of a house. Um, and yeah, me and some of the neighbor kids on occasion would go through it, just wouldn't tell anyone. Um, but uh, aside from that, there are also like living in Chattanooga, there are, especially on the mountains, there are so many of these just big old houses. And I think Strander House is a little bit of all of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there are so many houses here that have stories. And I, I mean, I've always been kind of attracted to that at, to that idea of you know the the history of a house living within it and even kind of you know spreading into spreading into the walls and the foundation to where like the the stories that happen in the house become part of the house itself and that's 
very much Strander House. And, uh, you know, there are, uh, I mean, Nick and I talk about it a lot. Like there are, there are a lot of stories that are left to tell with that house. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so much, there's so much history that we've kind of, we've discussed and that I've, you know, pondered on that I would love to kind of, to work into a, a mythology of, uh, of, uh, this, <laughs> of this, of this whole story. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get to expand a little bit more on it, but, um, I still think, you know, I, I mean, Strander House is, it's just as much a character in this book mm-hmm. as the brothers are. I was going to say Tay, I think that's one of the first things she picked up on. We talked a bit about it in the early stages, but Tay really, I think, picked up on that. And I mean, in the early stages, I, um, I got another shout out to give. <clears throat> I had a very defined um, drawing style, but not a very defined storytelling style when we started this book. So a, a really great cartoonist named David Stoll um, came on board as a layout artist for us. So um, I was trying very much to make the house very rigid, something very real, et cetera. And take up saying, no, no, no. Remember, this is the house changes. The house is itself alive. And David then really went in. Um, one of the great things David did was he actually did um, built the house um, for a book that Scott Young and Jorge Corona, he built it in um, 3D yep. model or um, called yep. the me you love in the dark. Yep. Um, David designed the house that's that is the one that is the second main character in that book and built all the 3D models for it. So literally he had just the grip on it immediately. And it was just a blast to go in and then put my style on top of it. But when it came to the architecture, I literally just followed his lead because he was so great at putting that together. The characters definitely, you know, all me, um, but that architecture, he did such an amazing job with making the the, the house come to life that um, it was a joy just to put the ink lines over. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I still remember, I believe it was in the in the second chapter when uh, when Remy, you know, kind of stumbles into an ocean world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was the the first time that I really, like we really saw what, David was capable of doing. There is a, there's a shot. It's in the very beginning of the chapter where, um, you know, Remy is kind of, he's coming up from his workshop and he goes out into like a big open foyer with a stairwell. And it's just like, it's the shot of him, like looking up, you can see a door like up in the distance, but it's just this big expansive yeah. room. And it's just like, Holy crap. <laughs> this, this is like, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Did this come from my script? What? Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's it, he. Uh, the I, I feel yeah, he, he contributes so much to just to the look of Strainer House, and I I remember um, it's funny that uh, that you know Nick, you brought up that you were trying to make everything like you know rigid and planned out, and like we had even talked at one point about like should we draw up like some kind of like some phony blueprints for Strander House so we know like how to get from one place to the other, and you know. Tay kind of jumped in. She was like, where are all the rooms on the Enterprise? You don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> there's a room. There's a hallway. There's another room. That's all you need. She's like, and it doesn't really matter anymore because as, as you pointed out, the rooms in this house change. It's like, yeah. so why bother? It's kind of, just, I got to just accept it. it. <laughs> got to thinking of it kind of like a TARDIS. Strander yeah. House is almost like a TARDIS. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, because yeah, when you watch Doctor Who, the classics, the rooms change all the time. I mean, you would go through hallways and hallways and have a bedroom, and then you would have a cloister room and all that kind of stuff. And so that's, yeah. And only the, only the boys, the people who live there, are the only ones who know how to get from point A to point B at any given point in time. So, Well, how did you, how did you go about 
supernaturally and kind of mythologically, you know, populating the the home itself, you know, because that's a character. But then you have all these other mythologies you can pull from. So Gary, by the way, is my personal favorite. I love Gary. <laughs> Gary is one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's really when it came to, you know, when it came to the individual stories that are told in this book, like the, the different chapters, it was really just about, you know, one, you know, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to support that narrative of, you know, of, of other worlds, but also um, it just, it was kind of a, it was a, like, you know, if I was eight years old, what would I want to see in a book like this? Um, you know, and the, the, the beautiful thing about, you know, this story kind of again being centered on alternate worlds and alternate universes like it doesn't necessarily have to make sense because maybe it made sense in the other world and it just doesn't make sense here um so yeah it just um so i mean with with gary um i just i remember i had i can't remember exactly where it came from i just had this this thought of you know, if, you know, other things are being brought from other worlds, like what would happen if, you know, something appeared in our world, but it was too big for the space it was in. And I had this idea of an ogre literally trapped in a closet he couldn't get out of because he was just too big. And then from there, I'm like, okay, well, if there's an ogre, well, there's probably a knight chasing that ogre. And then that was when Sir Hector came in and probably one of my favorite interactions in the entire book when, um, when Miss Abby enters the door. And she she's just looking at him. She takes a second, you know, takes a glance, looks back at him again. Boys, door for you. I just there there there's a few little character moments that I that I really enjoy and also that really I feel like I feel like you've you've done well as an author when your characters start writing themselves and sure. when the scenes start writing themselves. That one was something I didn't really write. I just it happened. I knew it was going to happen, and I just made sure it translated to panels. So, and I mean, again, going back to David stole amazing layouts. Um, the you know, kind of oh, what is the um, name of the cartoonist that created all the crazy traps and contraptions? The mouse trap that catches Gary, yeah, the Rube Goldberg, Rube Goldberg, oh, Goldberg kind of device um, that catches Gary, and that I was just an awesome visual note that. Um, what was fun for me was getting to, you know, put all the expressions and creating the character designs and having Gary was Gary and Hector are two of my favorites. But the thing that I think that that points to is that Strander had kind of going back to what you said earlier, Brian, about the um, Strander house being a character. Strander house collects people, not just orphans, but anybody that comes into its realm that it needs as not to spoil anything in the book, but as we find out later, it, we kind of need all of these people. And if we get to go further, you'll see that they really will play an important role and of their own later on down the road. But it collects people who are interesting and and starts to create this kind of weird family. This weird, not weird family, but it's. I mean, it's weird. It's, but it's, it's a, a little weird, yeah. But it's it's a family of its own. And all and, families are weird. The house is the house builds a family for the boys and for the other kids that live there to to give them what they need, and I think that's just totally cool. Yeah, there definitely is a, a universal element in like the the supernatural, the mythological. I was I got to admit, so being a native East Tennessean, 
talking with two East Tennesseans who were, who created this book, right? I'm looking for Easter eggs, right? I was looking for something <laughs> to connect to the famous Rock City, and I found nothing, right? So, to, to people who aren't familiar, Rock City is one of those pieces of, of locally famous Americana mm-hmm. in, in Chattanooga on Lookout Mountain. Been around for like 90 years, and it seems like you're, you're traveling down I-75, and every fifth barn has a sign on it that says "See Rock City." So. Was there ever any, did I miss something or did you ever want to put like, cause there's so much local mythology in the South. I would say not yet. Okay. Um, and the, just, I think just drop those breadcrumbs, Nick. Yeah. One of the, um, you never know what, you know, what caves might be under Strander house, like yes. Ruby Falls caves. There you um, go. Um, both of my youngest, um, my two youngest girls, one works at the Starbucks at Rock City and the other one works at the incline rail railroad that goes up and down the mountain. Um, and we live just about, 10 minutes from it but um you know it's a it's an interesting enough place that neil gaiman put it in american gods so right sooner or later we're going to have to touch on something about it you know something you know kind of similar to it i think oh absolutely no i mean there's yeah there's all kinds of uh, uh there's a lot of ghost stories in the south uh that oh, gosh, one yeah. that uh, i to my knowledge i'm sure it's possible that something may have crept in without my knowing but you know to my knowledge i didn't add anything but i mean who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe in a book down the line, there'll be uh, there'll be something with green eyes. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's always the if the, uh, the the famous green eyes goes to the Chickamauga battlefield. So, or the girl in the crypt, like in Cleveland, Tennessee, just up the road. Hmm. Yes, or my, you got you got to bring Tally Poe. He needs to be introduced to a, a whole nother generation of of young readers. So, <laughs> terrified you me as a kid. <laughs> But, okay, now I think you know we. You may have just fed into to like volume three there, since we're already <laughs> thinking about volume two. You may have just helped feed into volume three there, Brian. Fantastic. I well, so actually, my degree, one of my two degrees, um, is in uh, anthropology, and specifically, oh, it cool. was studying Native Americans and their mythologies, mm. specifically the southeastern ceremonial complex. So I know, oh, wow. I know all about that. I could oh. go on all day about about. Southern <laughs> mythologies and, and such. But hmm. so talk to me about crafting this. One of the things I really love is about how fearless the boys are and, and collectively given all these crazy challenges they face, how after every supernatural event is revealed, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, it finds family, you know, that a new character or event is immediately woven right into the fabric of the ongoing narrative in such a yeah. casual, you know, kind of matter of fact way, <laughs> which really speaks to kids being way more adaptive than adults give them credit for, which yeah. feels like I should say message right now, you know, really loud. <laughs> uh, you know, think it, about think about how easily the boys and the kids take stuff and how sometimes the teacher and the housekeeper aren't always as on on board with them as uh, on board with it as they are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always um when uh, when I was writing the chapters in this book, I really enjoyed kind of the 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 juxtaposition of uh, Mr. Arnold, who is the the teacher in yeah. Strander House, to um, you know, to literally any of the kids, um, he just yeah. As you're reading, you just kind of have to wonder, why why is he here? Like he uh, he hates this place. He's got to hate this place. Why is he still here? Um, of course, there are reasons, but um, yeah, and 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 I agree with you. It's it's. Um, Kids are just, yeah. Kids adapt. Kids are 
know, they're just they're so much stronger than we are. And um, yeah, so you know, when something like the you know when when these things are happening, when um, I don't know, they just they just they they band together. They you know they you know introduce someone uh, someone new to the fold. They bring someone new into the house. You know whether it's um, you know whether it's maybe you know, whether it's another kid or whether it's you know, an ogre. Um, they they always they're always able to find a home. They're always able to find a place uh, with uh, with this kind of with this found family. But I mean, I think to go back to the structural question you were asking, Brian, mm-hmm. um, when we sat down and we're talking about this in that Starbucks, um, Brian already had kind of a picture of where the story was going to go, what the ending of that first story would be. And not knowing what the hell I was doing, I was like, if we were going to draw this for like a local thing or do it ourselves online, this was before we even knew about Wonderbound. I was like, I can hack chapters. So why don't we do like little stories that lead up to cumulatively lead to the big climax mm-hmm. because yeah. trying to be aware of my limitations I said, but what would be cool. <laughs> and that's where he picked up on, Oh, okay. Well, everything could be this thing. Like we read like a, like a bedtime bedtime story. Um, but, and then so structurally there's that. And I think thematically, you know, um, Ryan and I have both dealt with loss. Ryan very much deeper and kind of more personal, which we can touch on that at some point if we want to or not. But I think what came through and Tay had a big hand, our editor, um, Taylor, had a big hand in seeing what we didn't see, seeing that these were boys who had lost their parents and what they were doing was building a family to deal with their grief. And they were trying to help other kids who were experiencing grief that they had experienced. Um, both as a way of helping them through it and as a way of dealing with theirs and sometimes as a way of avoiding theirs. And I think we see that in all the boys, except for Cub, who's too young, to express that. But in one way or another, you know, Leo, um, Des, and Remy all at different times both embrace and run from the grief, I think, in their ways in the story. Yeah, catharsis is a funny thing um, because that's... Yeah, while while I was while I was writing the story and writing the different characters, that that was something that I kind of that I discovered. Um, and I guess before I get too far into it, I can go ahead and give a little bit more explanation. Um, there's an author's note in the be- in the beginning of the book, or possibly the end. It's it's either beginning or the end. I'm not sure. Which it's one. there. I remember. It's, it. at, the, it's at the end it's because the it end. was okay, like okay. it was very powerful. Like, and I, I love it being at the end because I went through the whole thing and I just like. It hit right. They, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So. Um, yeah. So yeah. My my son Liam, who um, who Leo was based on, uh, he he died in June of 2019 in a car accident, and um, he actually he died about three maybe three or four months kind of after we started working on this, um, and you know, I just yeah you know, I I was so close i was this close to just putting it just shelving the whole thing entirely and you know just thinking that i you know this this is not the time i can't you know i i can't i can't continue with this story of you know that's based on my family when you know part of my family isn't here anymore and then the more i thought about it and then also um also talking with nick about it 
you know, we just, you know, we decided that, you know, no, it, it's, it's actually, it makes more sense. Like we have to continue it. We have to push forward with it because, you know, this is yeah, like, you know, this, this is how, this is how Liam gets to live on. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, as, as we, you know, and at that point we had just had, you know, just a little, like a little, uh, four page story for a local anthology. Um, and, uh, Nick was actually the one who let me know, um, that, uh, that vault was putting together, uh, you know, a, a young adult line. And, you know, he sent me the, the link to the submissions page and you know, I checked it out and I said, Hey, are you, are you okay with me putting the flicks in here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. So thinking he um, would get hired and they'd hire a real artist, just yeah. again, putting that on the record. <laughs> anyway. So, um, yeah, so we, you know, I, I put that out there and then, you know, we, I, I got, uh, uh, uh and Tay contacted me and we, we kind of, we, we were emailing back and forth. Um, but yeah, so at that point, like it became more the the story, like the the you know, the overall story had always it, it was always you know the the brothers and Strander House and supernatural mysteries, but then like after after that event, then that was when the book became like less about just you know you know the the fun hijinks that these kids get into and more about something so much bigger, and. You know, that's what I mean. The 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 kids in the story, the the brothers had always been orphans, but it didn't really, it didn't really, you know, um, uh, it it didn't really hit me to kind of to use the story as a way to you know show how they were processing grief until I was also processing grief. Sure. And as as Nick said, how each each brother goes through it differently. I mean, Leo processes it by really honestly not processing he throws himself into work he tries to stay busy he tries to solve every single mystery out there except for that big one um you know desmond goes into you know hyper caretaker mode you know he is trying to take care of everyone because he's stepping in where his parents aren't there anymore and you know remy i feel like there is there's a whole in other having, story of how yeah. Remy is going to be dealing with this <laughs> in, that we haven't having, told. True, but in having a silent character, there's there's so much there, there's room to explore, but there's also just room for, um, I guess for kind of conjecture. Like you're trying to figure out what's going on with him, and, and really, to me, um, yeah, th- this is going to continue to um, to um, affect Remy in particular, but. Like in this book, he is, you know, his, his stage of grief is anger. Like he, yeah, yeah, he just, his, his life has been, has been, you know, it's been tossed in the air. He's, he's in upheaval and he's just kind of trying to figure out where every, where things fit again. Um, and, you know, the, in the moments where he is kind of given respite, um, again, like in that in that second chapter, which really it centers a lot on him. Um, that was one of my favorite chapters to write, just because it's like I, in my head, I know what this character is going through, and then but being able to write him so happy, like it just, yeah, it was, and and really that's, 
I mean, like I said, it's, it's cathartic. Um, like I, I experienced, I've, by this point, uh, I'm three years on, I still, I think I'm still going through each stage of grief. Uh, I've probably been through all seven, at least five or six times by now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, going through it with these characters just makes it, it makes it feel more real. It makes it feel Yeah, it just it just it's yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. It, it makes it feel real. It doesn't I, I don't they're not I don't have this yeah, please please they're not, me, they're not words on a script or lines on a page anymore. They're yeah. they're real. Oh, and, that, yeah, that's that was a trip. I, that's where I think as I mentioned, I think before we started recording, I call inadvertently and struggle all the time to call his boys by their real names. Cause I, I live with the characters yeah. and I don't get to see the boys very often. Um, but you know, we live in the same town, but it's, you know, it is what it is. And to me, each of them, <clears throat> sorry, you got me now too, right. Um, is real. And because they're from real, they stay real. And I, th- I think I said this to Ryan early on, before we even did the book, before we even got with Wonderbound, was this is a way of keeping Liam in the universe, in our universe. He's in some universe, I have no doubt. But this is the way we get to keep a piece of him in this universe. And he gets to have the life and the adventures that he didn't get a chance to. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. okay, I, you got it. Yeah. I got to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Man. I mean, I've, I've I've had that I've I've had that thought many times that you know, you know yeah, you know, people die, but stories live forever. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the key to immortality is just is be remembered, being a being a story, be remembered. Yeah, so that oh, was sure, and that was what I wanted to do with this. Yeah, yeah sorry, well, we got modeling there for a second. No, no, it, it, it's it's good because so so first of all. Let me thank you for 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 channeling that grief and and putting it into a, a real story. So I, one of the things that I want to do, one of the things that we continue to do, um, my podcasting partner Jimmy, got kids too. We want to expose, get more exposure for for books for younger readers, for YA for younger readers, for all ages projects, um, and because I think as parents, you're what you're putting in front of your kids so much today. And we all fall prey to it, right? Is entertainment, you know, and and that's all well and good. We all need to be entertained. Yeah. But the stories that stick with you, the stories that matter, have that meat, you know. Um, and and thank you both for for being able to, to to continue to do that, to to channel that into something positive for kids to be able to absorb, um, because kids need more of that. And presenting it in such a way that that does justice to to kids' strength and being able to adapt themselves, go through a grieving process, whatever challenges you know that that are presented to them in life. Because we all, as we all grow up, you know that that's what you have to do. Yeah. Um, and 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 personally, I, I want to thank you for the the inclusion of, of of a disabled character, you know, as well. You know, and portraying them in a positive light. You know, I, I have I shared with you guys and people who listen to the podcast regularly know, you know, I have my own debilitating autoimmune condition. Um, you know, I have a condition, but the condition doesn't have me. So 
you know, kids with those significant daily physical challenges need more positive diversity and portrayals in their life that that they can see, you know, tomorrow I can I can be something else. I can have dreams. You know, this this doesn't define who I am. So for all of those things, thank you both. You're very welcome. Um I one of the things that I that I really wanted to do with Remy, um, and just because he's I mean he he's based on my son Rory and he is Rory is someone who I mean, he, he is if you meet him you love him like there's just there's no other Absolutely. way yeah yeah but um with with remy the the main thing i wanted to do with him is i never i never wanted anyone to question him or like there is there is hardly there's not really ever any discussion on you know why he is the way he is why he communicates the way he does like everyone in the house just accepts him exactly for who he is and you know i I knew from the beginning I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. I didn't want to spend time explaining anything. It's like, look, this like just like um just like my son, you know, we he you know, he he is Rory. Rory is who he is. And that's that's what I wanted to do with Remy. I wanted to make sure that, you know, this is not, you know, I'm not, you know, painting a I'm not painting a picture of someone who who should be pitied at all or like he is he is who he is. He is perfectly fine with how he is. He uh, and everyone in that house uh, respects him. Um, he I is. Mean, he is the smartest person in the room. At any I was gonna say, point. He, no matter how much Leo thinks he is, Remy is say, always yeah. the smartest person in the room. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, yeah, Leo may say otherwise, but yeah, Remy is the smartest person in that house. <laughs> so and um, and the toughest. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. And yeah, it's, I, yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to make sure that, uh, because I mean, that's, that's a battle that I've, that I've had to fight for Rory is that, you know, that the, you know, the, the idea of, you know, of acceptance and inclusion. And like, that was something like in my, you know, pie in the sky world that I'm creating. And like, no, that's not going to be an issue here. Like he is who he is and everyone like that's, that's who he is. There's and even no though this is, it kind of a steampunky Edwardian era, one of the things I think we were both trying to make sure we were very conscious of is, is being very inclusive and diverse. I mean, the boys are brothers and they are, you know, they are Anglo-Saxon boys, but we wanted everybody around them to be reflective of different experiences and different and, and be diverse and bring, um, you know, a richness to the table. So as we were writing we weren't thinking about necessarily race or anything like that, but it was just like the characters are the characters. And now how do we make them themselves and how do we make them stand out and be unique and special? Um, and, you know, Mr. Arnold, you know, the minute he, uh, he came up in a script, I don't know why, even though it was never said, I pictured the actor, Jeffrey Wright, you know, who just did, you know, commissioner Gordon and Batman. And then from that point on, it was just like, okay, I've got to. We've got to look at how do we how, how do we make each of these characters different and unique and and special because that's what the boys are reflecting. The boys are themselves that core are. We're all very different, so we need to make sure that we celebrate and encourage and and surround ourselves in that difference and diversity as well. So it was just, and it seems to it's gotten called out in a couple in the two reviews that we've gotten so far, and that kind of that kind of made me feel good. 
because you know it was obvious that that was being noticed at least without being spoken about. Yeah, and I feel like um, I think this that part was called out too in in one of the reviews was that, um, and I, I've I've read that you can tell the you can tell the mark of a in particular of a great cartoonist and of a great character designer if you can tell which character you're looking at based purely on the silhouette. Okay. Like if you if you just see the outline, you take away all the detail, you can still tell what character you're looking at. Like, and we, yeah, you know, we have that in spades in 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 this book, and that is, you know, thank you. Very, that is a hundred percent, Nick. So, so oh, I'm gonna blush. <laughs> so we're a couple of old guys um, who who are interpreting this, but what would you really like? What was the guiding principle there? For a younger reader, right? What would you really hope that? Um, it, so somebody's listening to this podcast, right? And they're like, "Wow, this this is really sounds powerful, right?" I want to I want to pick this up. So, what would you like to to leave that person, you know, who who may be buying it for a, a younger reader? What do you, what, what do you want to hit that younger reader with? Fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Despite all of the uh, all of the. Yeah. Yeah, the sadness and grief and anger and all that stuff we were talking about. It, it is also there is a lot of fun in the book too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, to me, just oh, well, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I was just say all of that subtext, and that's just it. All of his subtext, and I think the sure. adult will get it. Yeah. But you know, the hopeful thing and what we're aiming for, and you know, the kids that we know so far that have seen it and and read some of the chapters have seen, is it's about the fun and the boys. You know, what I hope is that that's why they buy it. That's why they read it. And as they get older, they may come back to it every year or so and go, oh, I didn't realize that. Or, oh, I didn't see that. And if we're lucky enough to get to do more, see that those seeds and those threads were planted in the first volume that we got to move forward with. So, Yeah, I mean, I, it, I definitely, you know, when, when you first come into the story, like I, you know, I, 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 want, I want younger readers to, you know, I want them to see fun. I want them to see mystery. But also, like, I... I know, like I, my my dream is that you know after finishing a chapter, I guess depending on which chapter in particular, but like there's still at least a little something to think about after it's done. That um, you know, like for you know, like at the like say like at the end of chapter four, when a uh, a, a creature that's you know literally made out of shadow um, kind of preys on the uh, on on the kids there, like. At the you know at the end of that chapter, I want them. You know, I would want a kid after reading it to be like, so, you know, when 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 they figure out, I guess when they figure out kind of the mystery of of that creature, I want I'd want a kid to figure out or to sit there and think, wait, why did that work? And then kind of understand, you know, the 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 power that is that's being used in that chapter, and that they they all have that same ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's fun, but yeah, there's definitely there's there's always just that little bit more to it. Uh, so I want to turn the page on you, though. I mean, you read it. Mm-hmm. I know you're an, you're, you're an adult. <laughs> yes. What did you take away from it? Um. Well, you're, you're gonna make me jump ahead, right? So, so in <laughs> okay, okay. So this is this is where it hit me, right? Spoilers. So uh, in the, in in my pitch, right? I always like to give a pitch at the end, you know, kind of like summation, right? So my summation about it, the thing that it left me with was this is a story. That I want to read my grandkids, right? Oh wow! Thank and, you. And 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 that that was where it hit me. And then I haven't. It, again, it circles back to 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 those classic, right? Just classic stories 
um, that, that I grew up with as a kid. You know, they, they have this timelessness. They are fun. Um, and that's, that's why I wanted to even ask you, you both about that. Cause I didn't want to leave the reader with like the, you know, it, it, it it's not all serious there, you know, it, it makes you laugh. Um, and, and it's the, the thing that is so nice about it. And I, I love what you did was, was that the, the connectivity through it, because it really does feel like something. And Ryan, you talked about it. You're reading it with your son, you know, at the end of the day, and then, having something to, to build off of, you know, okay. Gary's back again. The ogre's back again. I like Gary. Gary's fun. You know, um, so, Gary's so winning at poker. Gary's beating Hector at poker. And I'm utterly convinced of this. And, and that he's like, okay, I want to, I want to eat you. Right. You know, that the one thing, you know, so, so it has that, that really universal appeal. Like that there was a monsters Inc. moment in that, that for me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, uh, we, we've already we've already joked a few times about uh, you know when, when do we see the uh, the Gary plushies like when yeah like <laughs> <laughs> if that will be if, if, I don't care you know yes I care that the book sells but the true mark of success to me will be if we get a Gary and Hector like plushie and Funko kind of thing <laughs> that would be like pinnacle <laughs> right there <laughs> that would be amazing but but yeah it's it is it's fun you know without going into great details about spoilers, you know, the, the moments at the, the very beginning and, and the end with the gargoyle. Right. Um, you know. so it, it's, it's funny. Um, both, both of those moments, um, were spun out of, so the, so the very first story that these characters were ever in, mm-hmm. uh, we've alluded to it a couple of times. It was a, it was a four page, like mini story, um, for a local anthology that, um, that uh, that comics co-op uh, put together that that we met through, um, and the prologue of this book is basically it's it's a shortened version of that story. Um, and you know when when we were kind of coming up with the idea for this for this book, you know we I I looked at that prologue and I was kind of like okay so where where do we go from here and you know how does how does this character factor in? And um, he became huge. Yeah. Virgil became a very key critical <laughs> part of Virgil being yeah. the gargoyle. But yeah, yeah. well, it's it, it's funny because um, and I can't remember if they ever uh, they. I, can't remember I don't think they we were, ever they, named him. Oh, oh no! I, I well, I, I named him in my head. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think we ever named him out loud in the book. Uh, no, no, saying. not not in that story. Well, I think um, no, he he is. He, his name is mentioned, I think, in like chapter eight or nine. Um, oh. But uh, no, but I was, what I was about to say is that, you know, the funny thing is, you know, Nick, even, uh, you know, before all of this, when it was just that four page story, you know, the, the gargoyle had a family. And, you know, Nick drew the entire family. And I think, if I remember right, I think they may have made an appearance like in the last chapter. Just like here, like there's, no, maybe not. No, he flies off. Did I remember? Does he fly off with another gargoyle? No, I, think I don't. I don't remember that. But yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know. We, yeah. Wait, that's it. Well, there, there are, there is. Are we spoiling there, something that we've talked about? I think. No, 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 no. no we're not. Uh, no, there, there is a, a in at near the end of this book, there is a scene that kind of shows where the gargoyle originally came from. Yeah, and oh, I yeah, thought, if it. I remember right, that there are there are others of his. Of his ilk in that yeah, area, they are. Yeah, okay. If I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, I think so. Gargoyles are never alone. 
Gee, was I vague enough? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like uh, you you have quite a, a partner too in terms of a publisher with this. It sounds like you have a great relationship. So, uh, Wonderbound has been fantastic. Um, they, uh, I mean, so uh, so I, Tay has been encouraging from the very beginning. Um, we have. I mean, we we've gone through. So this book has the. Uh, well, I'll, I will say this: the book that I that we originally pitched, you know, back at the end of 2019, and the book that is uh, coming out, and the, the book that's hitting shelves in October, are almost two completely different books. Um, but in the just, best way possible. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I mean, most of the chapters are the same, but just you know, the the story evolved so much over that time, and we got so much good advice from Tay. Like, it's just, yeah, the this this book, I can very confidently say this book would not be what it is now um, if it had been at a different publisher, like there's or a different editor. Of, I mean, Tay, I think Tay saw in the story things that neither of us saw. Those themes you heard, you know, that we talked about earlier, literally she saw those and made us see them because we didn't at first. We didn't, I don't think either one of us knew what we were putting into it, what particularly what Ryan was putting into it as we were doing it. And Tay saw it objectively from the outside and showed it back to us. And that was, you know, that's one of the things that keeps you going when you've never done anything like this before, when you've never written or drawn a 200 page graphic novel. To have somebody who sees what you're doing and trying to do better than you do and and can inspire you to keep doing it you know that's what all editors should be <laughs> yeah no it was it was funny i think tay was the first one to tell me that i was actually writing a book about grief yeah <laughs> and, and i was like and then you know she kind of laid out you know some of the the character journeys and stuff and i'm like oh yep you're right <laughs> Well, I guess you write what you know, huh? <laughs> one of, you know, oh bleep! One of those bad words we said we wouldn't say on the podcast. <laughs> How do you like that? Uh, it's all good. So, um, what else have you got going on in in 2022 for the rest of the year, Ryan? You have I've just got one kid. I don't know how you find the time to get no all kidding. this stuff in. Um, well, yeah. You know, if you don't sleep, then you actually get a lot more time. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> No, um, yeah, you just, to be that young about, again. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It's it's not uh, it's it's not treating me very nicely. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean just when yeah, I I mean I just I take what time I can um, just to work on to work on various uh, you know story ideas and uh, and story pitches. So um, you know it, you know sometimes it can be you know. 30 minutes before you know, you know 30 minutes after i stop work for the day and before you know i come out of the room to 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 be with the kids and then other days it's you know i can you know i can steal a couple of hours on a saturday something like that like it's just um the the problem i guess both the the good thing and the problem is that my brain never stops so i'm always working on something in my head it's just a matter of whether or not i can get to you know to something quickly enough to like write it down or type it out uh which is why i'm very glad uh my my phone has voice recorder and i use it a lot 
I just try to you know go through it you know once a week to uh, you know see okay what what's worth keeping and oh geez what was I thinking when I said that you know so <laughs> this was obviously a two a.m. recording okay that's okay sometimes those are the best ideas that's true that's what happens true. when you it's, wake up from a dream that's a it's it's either gold or not at all <laughs> so. So are they going to pull you into to doing any conventions or anything? It's, you guys are kind of newbies to the game. So it's. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very new to this. Um, Given you know when the launch cycle is for this wave of books, I think we're the second book in wave two. Um, Cause isn't there one before us, Ryan? It was like Rassel castle or something like that. Uh, it, anyway, I mean, yeah. we're late summer, early fall. You know, there's no shows planned this year. Um, you know, so I know we're going to do a local signing at a local shop, and um, that's already kind of on the books. But um, you know, I think right now it's just kind of like let's see what happens and see how it goes because you know we're we're not committed for anything further yet with Wonderbound. Just not through any fault of Wonderbounds. They're great. Just literally, and you know, this is one of those things. If you you know, we are newbies. Yep. They got to see how we do. And we got to see how it performs, and um, and if other people get what you got out of it, and hopefully enjoy it. Um, I, Ryan's already got some really strong. We had a story meeting the other day, having good lord, what was those that we were having um, covered French fries at a local uh, micro pub, micro brewery. <laughs> they were yeah, like, yeah, this this place puts uh, they're they're famous for their waffle fry bowls. So it's just, it's a bowl of waffle fries with, I think I had one of like mac and cheese and you had the okay. mac and cheese. I had the Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. And um, I did not feel good about myself that night. <laughs> I've, I, I never feel good about myself, but I felt good because it was good food. Uh, um, but um, um, we've got, I think we've got a really good solid direction for the second volume. If, if we get a chance and um, if I can get off my butt and finish the pitch pages, um, having a 19 year old a 16 year old and it doesn't get easier as they get older when you when they don't yet when the 16 year old doesn't have her license yet you still do a lot of chauffeuring to school from school to work back home from work again etc but um a pit an idea for something called the death collector which was something that i came up with and shared with ryan and it's the story of a guy who works at a call center and gets killed inadvertently by trying to steal a snack from a vending machine and pulling the vending machine on top of his head and finds out that anybody who has gone to work for a call center, a collection agency, anything like that, that dies on the job, winds up becoming a collection agent for death. Okay. And it's a dark workplace comedy um, with, as inevitably happens, Ryan's main theme is one of you know, one of the things he's going to be writing about for the rest of his life is what's happened in his life um, with the loss and all. And one of the things I've been, that I've written about and a million things that Ryan's seen is trying to figure out the cosmos and, you know, what is God? What is our place in the universe? You know, who is the creator? You know, what does it look like? All that kind of stuff. And this story, if we ever kind of, if I ever get up off my butt and finish the pages to pitch to vault proper, um, is going to kind of, I think the the young cartoonist that we're going to work with, the color named Jenny Fleming, said it has kind of a Sandman feeling that it's very, 
you can, we can tell any kind of story we want in it um, with the theme of how do people deal with death and how, and, and how do people deal with work that they hate and how do you, and the long run of the story is that what happens when you figure out that what you were meant to do is not something you ever imagined you could do. And so hopefully that'll get be something we get a chance to do. And now that I've said it on a podcast, I'm going to have to finish the pages while I'm on vacation. That's yeah, a commitment. No, that's, that's, that's called accountability, sir. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I've got them thumbnailed. I just actually have to do the finishes now. Well, where can everybody find you guys online? Let's get you some more followers. Um, Since you love social media, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so for me on uh, both, uh, both Twitter and, and Instagram, I'm uh, at Words by Ryan. And on Instagram and on Twitter, even though I don't really do Twitter, um, and on Facebook, I am Nick Weich, N-I-C-K-W-Y-C-H-E. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to include it in the, the notes for the podcast so everybody can check you both out. I hope, I hope we've convinced everybody that, that the Brothers <laughs> Flick is, is fantastic. I, I think it's great. Um, you know, super approachable, timeless story for, for younger readers. You've ruined my pitch already, you know, but, ser- <laughs> but seriously, it, it is one of those. Th- it's special. Um, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't come across many things for this age group that, that, that I, I thought were, were this good. So, um, and, and genuinely, Hey, I want everybody to buy it so I can, I can read volume two to my grandkids. How's that? So I love that. That would be awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, Ryan and Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with me and and talking about the project. Our pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. This is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.